Abraham would never forget that day, watching his son go up the mountain carrying the wood on his back. His son was so young, with so much life ahead of him, yet he was burdened by obedience. Abraham had to obey God, and God had said it clearly. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Abraham remembered. The words hit him like a stone, taking his breath away. The next morning, he rose early and headed to Moriah. He remembered wondering why God wanted him to go to this particular mountain of all the ones in the region, why this mountain would be the place that would mark his life forever. But more than that, he remembered the feeling, the morning that started, even upon the initial command from God to sacrifice his son, his only son, the son he loved. He remembered the sadness, the dread, and the hope all mixed together, each overtaking his heart depending on the moment. Sadness at the coming loss of his son. Dread at having to take his own son's life. Hope that somehow God would still make his promise come to pass through Isaac. These three days were almost certainly the hardest three days in his life. They were a test for him. Would he love his son more? Or would he love God more? Would he run from God? Or would he obey God in faith? Would he come up with an excuse? Or would he slay his son as God commanded? Abraham had the most difficult test of his life. But he would pass it. Not quite in the way that he expected, because at the last moment, God intervened, sending an angel to stop Abraham from thrusting his son through with a knife. At that moment, when heaven and earth held their breath, God instead provided a replacement sacrifice. A ram caught in a thicket. It was that ram that Abraham sacrificed instead, with God's gracious blessing to both have his son and have God's great promises for Abraham's descendants. God remembered naming the place, Yahweh will provide, both in remembrance of what God had done and anticipation of what God would do. Two thousand years later, God would provide the greatest sacrifice that the world would ever see. A once-for-all, final sacrifice for the sin of the world. And it would happen here, in the land of Moriah, with the Lamb of God, crowned in a thicket of thorns. The earthly life of Jesus had come to its culmination, the primary purpose for which he had come into the world. A purpose so monumental in scope that it would have ramifications for every human that had ever and would ever live. His purpose was simple, to provide a covering, a covering better than the one provided by God to Adam and Eve as they left the garden millennia prior. 
a covering better than the blood of animals slain as sacrifices for so many years by the fathers and the Israelites. A covering that would be permanent, one that could not merely cover over the stain of sin, but that could wash it away entirely. The purpose of Jesus was atonement, atonement that couldn't be accomplished by anyone except him, because only atonement by the perfect man could truly cover sin. We all find ourselves outside of the Garden of Eden, outside of God's bountiful blessing, and outside of a relationship with Him. We're on the outside because we're sinners. We, each of us, have decided to go our own way, choosing disobedience over obedience. Just like Adam and Eve, we've been exiled from the Garden. And just like Adam and Eve, we suffer the death penalty. Spiritual death and separation from God, and eventual physical death as our bodies are separated from our spirits. The additional problem that we have is that we can't undo it. No amount of obedience or attempted righteousness is enough to get back what was lost. No effort or work can be done to earn blessing and fellowship with God. We sinners can't become unsinners on our own because sinners have inherent corruption that will inexorably lead to sin. We're in a hopeless state because the only payment we have for sin is ourselves. Death is the payment and it comes due for all of us. But herein lies the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of atonement. Jesus offers a replacement death for ours. Blood that would be shed, but even more so, a separation from God that would be experienced so that the atonement covering would be effective and permanent. The animals sacrificed in days of old couldn't experience the separation from God like humans made in His image. No, the effectiveness of animal atonement was severely limited. Animals could die physically, but not spiritually. They couldn't suffer separation and alienation from God like a man or woman. No, for an effective atonement covering, our sacrifice had to be just like us. Jesus was born a man, and as a man he would die for our sins. He is the God-man, sent by His Father to die, so that atonement could be accomplished for the world. There was no other way, and so Jesus, like Abraham before Him, took the path of obedience. The Lamb of God would be slain. Jesus has been condemned. The Jews condemned Him, and the Romans condemned Him. In history's worst show trial, the envy and blindness of the Jewish leaders pushed them to condemn this teacher from Galilee. In history's most cowardly arbitration, Pontius Pilate yielded to the wishes of the bloodthirsty crowd. And in history's saddest day, the Son of God began the excruciating journey to the place of His death. He's been beaten, mocked, whipped, and scourged. And now he would bear the cross. 
Two interlocked beams were placed upon the flayed back of Jesus, and he was commanded by a soldier to begin moving toward the place of execution. And within moments, Jesus took a step. The weight of the cross began to pull at his already torn body, worsening the wounds already received through the night and early morning. Another step. The crowd continued their mocking and jeering as voices rose, condemning Jesus for blasphemy. Another step. Some of the disciples watched from afar, still shocked and confused at everything that had happened since their Passover meal just the night before. Another step. The cross grew heavier as the weight of the world was being poured out upon the sun. The wages owed to sinners onto the only sinless one. Another step. The prophet like Moses had declared the word of God to the people, and this prophet was rejected. Another step. The king in David's line declared his coming kingdom to the people of Galilee and Judea, and yet he was rejected. Another step. The priest, after the order of Melchizedek, was doing his most significant priestly duty. He was making the sacrifice of all sacrifices. Another step. Satan and the demons were screeching in exultation at the suffering of the Son, hoping for his final rejection of his Father's will. Another step. Jesus in agony, doing the will of his Father. The journey to the cross was a journey that lasted over 33 years. From that very moment of conception, Jesus was bound for this moment. This moment of pain and toil and heartache. And this moment was about to get even worse. Finally, he arrived at the place of execution outside the gate of the city, a place fittingly called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there, Jesus was nailed to the wooden beams of the cross, a tree that had been cut down, cut in pieces, and fashioned into an instrument of pain for its own creator. A sign was placed above his head that read exactly according to Pilate's instructions. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the charge for which Jesus was being crucified. After being stripped of his clothes, Jesus was soon hoisted into the air. Soon he began his labored breathing in excruciating pain. Breathing was a whole body endeavor, requiring Jesus to push up on his pierced feet just to lift his chest enough to inhale. The one who had breathed the breath of life into the first humans was now having his own breath stolen by the humans made in his image. But that's not all that was stolen. The clothes that were stripped off of him soon became the possession of the soldiers watching over the execution. They took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. 
but his tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let's not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. These desensitized soldiers stole these clothes of the exposed man above them, who hadn't even died yet. But that's not all the injustice that Jesus suffered. He also endured the demonic jeers of the passers-by, who wagged their heads at him, saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus, who had all the power in the universe at his command, simply listened. Though he could have done all these things and more, he could have climbed down from the cross, defeated all the world's powers, and dominated the earth. He could have, but he didn't. He didn't because he was obeying his Father. His purpose was simple. Atonement. To fully accomplish this atonement, however, meant enduring the worst thing of all. Worse than any physical suffering would be the spiritual suffering. A separation of Jesus from the Father. An inexplicable separation in which Jesus experienced spiritual death. A separation accompanied by darkness. It was now about noon, the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the light of the sun failed. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was quoting from Psalm 22 that continues with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued, in you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, they make mouths at me, they wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. 
I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. In these hours, Jesus took upon himself the ultimate punishment, the death worse than physical death. He took on the alienation of the world from God. As he hung exposed on the cross, he felt the exposure of Adam, who discovered that he was naked and separate from God after eating the fruit. He felt the banishment from the garden. He felt the loss of God's blessed presence. He felt the worst sort of loneliness that can be felt. Because in those hours, for our sake, he was alone. For the first time in all eternity, past and future. But finally, after the ninth hour, at about 3 p.m., his suffering was complete. Atonement was accomplished, and his purpose was fulfilled. Then Jesus, calling out in a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The death of Christ, of Messiah, was the death of the willing Son in obedience to his Father in heaven. It was the ultimate act of faith and the ultimate act of love. An example that surely made Abraham look from heaven in awe. You see, Abraham so loved God that he was willing to give up his son to God in obedience. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son as the lamb that we all needed to come back to him. The willing lamb who carried the cross to Golgotha, who stayed nailed to the tree, and who died the sinner's death for you and for me. The sun darkened that day, and the light of the world was slain. The domain of darkness had dealt a fatal blow. The serpent had struck the heel of the healer. But though evil had won the battle, it had simultaneously lost the war. The blood poured out by Jesus was the blood the world needed to cover its sin. The whips upon his back were the punishment that the world needed for its healing. All the pain he endured was what the world needed for its peace with God. We needed the death of Jesus for our sins, and God loved us so much that he provided the perfect lamb. Jesus suffered in our place so that we could be covered by his atonement. And when we believe, his atonement covers us not with suffering, but with righteousness that opens a way 
that had been forever closed. A way back to the garden. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023